And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. This morning, we consider a variety of things. Number one, the subject purpose statement for the book of Romans. Two, the fact that the gospel is of first importance. And three, what it means to be a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And now with his message for today, Pastor Robert Elliott. Every book of the 66 books of the Bible has a subject purpose statement. Subject, what is it about? Purpose, the reason why that subject is written about. For example, let's take uh, just a goofy thing, uh, peanut butter and jam sandwich, making a peanut butter and jam sandwich. The subject statement would be making a peanut butter and jam sandwich. The purpose statement might be peanut butter and jam sandwiches are easy to make, nutritious, and what saw broke college students through college. The book of Romans subject and purpose statement, Paul defends imputed righteousness by grace through faith, explains progressive sanctification and presents the certainty of ultimate glorification in order to encourage the Roman church to harmonious and victorious Christian living in direct response to God's grace and in constant reliance upon the indwelling Holy Spirit. The first part of that long paragraph is the subject, what is written about in the epistle to the Romans. Read with me. Paul defends imputed righteousness by grace through faith, explains progressive sanctification, and presents the certainty of ultimate glorification. Stop. That's the purpose. That's why God gave the Apostle Paul the epistle to the Romans. Now, what God wants us to get out of the epistle, the purpose that God had for Paul to write the epistle to the Romans, let's pick it up, in order to encourage the Roman church to harmonious and victorious Christian living in direct response to God's grace and in constant reliance upon the indwelling Holy Spirit. Thank you. That is the subject and the purpose statement of the book of Romans. I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7 are going to be our text this morning. So please turn there, Romans 1, starting at verse 1. And I'm going to read the seven verses at this time with you. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, Grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In general terms, this inspired greeting references three things. Three things in the greeting. Number one, the human author, Paul, we see that in verse one. Number two, the gospel, verses two through six. And number three, the recipients, the first readers of the letter, that is, the beloved saints who lived in Rome. That's verse seven. Now, look at how many verses, please, are given over to each of these three things in this greeting. Paul, he gets one verse, right? Verse one. Then there's the Roman Christians who first read the letter. They also get one verse, right? That's verse 7. Now the gospel, the gospel gets five verses. Verses 2 through 6 are all about the gospel. This tells us something. When we are interpreting God's word, when we are trying to figure out what God's word means, one of the rules of Bible interpretation is the rule of proportion. The rule of proportion. Basically, the rule of proportion is this. The more verses that the Holy Spirit devotes to a subject, the more important is that subject. And so when we apply this rule of proportion to Romans 1, 1 through 7, we understand that the gospel is the most important. Paul and the recipients in Rome were not nearly as important as was the gospel. This lines up with 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, which read, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul said then, and I say this morning, that it is of first importance the gospel is of first importance. And hence the title of this morning's message is the screaming priority of the gospel. The screaming priority of the gospel. I don't know who you are, but you are not more important than the gospel, whoever you are. I don't know what your occupation or profession is, but I know that your occupation and your profession are not more important than the gospel. Years ago, the Capital One credit card company asked with their slogan, what's in your wallet? Boy, it must be Scottish. I can't get my wallet out of my pocket. Now, what's in your wallet? Well, what's in my wallet along with my credit cards and my ID is the gospel. On the back of my business card is the bad news, good news of the Bible. What's in your wallet? We have gospel tracts reordered. May I ask you a question, tracts? Got a lot in this pocket. It's like a file cabinet. We have, may I ask you a question, tracts? We purchased more. We went all through the other ones we purchased. Well over a thousand tracts have been distributed by you. Keep distributing with prayer and love. There are more tracks on the back table in the foyer. Take them, use them. Don't take them if you won't use them, but use them. Give them out in prayer that God would save precious Bahamian people that are lost in sin. So what's in your wallet? I trust it's the gospel because there's nothing more important than the gospel. 
Well, now it's time to look at verse 1 a little more closely. And when we look at verse 1, we're going to see four disclosures. God the Holy Spirit discloses four things in one verse. You ready? Number one disclosure, Paul identifies himself as being the human author. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, etc. Disclosure two, Paul designates himself as being a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. I've taught you before, but it bears repeating. What is a bondservant? A bondservant is a doulos in Greek. A doulos in Greek is a special category of person. A bondservant in the Old Testament was a person who, although emancipated and freed after six years of slavery in the Jewish system of the law, although that person was emancipated or to be freed under Jewish law in the seventh year, if they decided they could have no more kind, no more um, attentive, no more providing a master than they already had, they could elect to voluntarily become that master's servant for life. And so as a Jewish slave, if you after six years loved your master, trusted your master, wanted to be on the same page as your master, wanted to further your master's agenda, then you would take your ear lobe to a wood post and they would pierce your ear to signify that you chose, you weren't forced, you chose to be a bondservant. And Apostle Paul says, I am a bondservant of Christ. Are you? I didn't ask you if you're saved. I asked you if you voluntarily presented yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ as his lifelong bondservant. He says, jump, you say, how high? He says, go, you say, where? He says, now, you say, now. Are you a bondservant of Christ? That's what it means to be under the Lordship of Christ. You can't really sing, he is Lord, he is Lord, he has risen from the dead, he is Lord with integrity if you aren't a bondservant by your own choice. Paul said, I'm a bondservant. I'm a doulos. With time, as the concept evolved and progressed with the passage of time, being a bondservant came to be uh, the highest minister in a king's cabinet who voluntarily served the king well. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas in another edition of You Talk. And today we want to start a series talking about who is the boss? What things do we allow to control us? What are the things that we put before God? You see, we understand that as we look at Scripture, we see a lot of time when people build golden calves and different things and they bow down to them. But in today's culture, we may not build a golden calf. We may not have a particular idol on a pedestal that we go and bow down to. But the reality is that in our lives, a lot of us have different idols, whether that be our electronics, whether that be our time, whether it be different people in our lives. Whatever we put before God becomes an idol. And I think that too many times, again, we try to justify things that we say, oh, this isn't a bad thing. But let's look at what the scripture says. And we need to understand that this started from the beginning. As we look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, it says this, Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. You see, it's very clear here. It's clear to say that, look, we should have no other gods beside our God. And we need to look at how it is, and we know we see in the scripture 
how that God's is a lowercase g because we recognize that there's only one God, which is a capital G. And I think that, again, we allow too many lowercase g's to come in our lives. We allow too many things, whether it be our, you know, cars or whatever. And we want to look at different aspects of what things we put before God. You know, when I, when I consider, you know, as we want to look at and we want to entitle this boss, you know, we go around as Bahamians, we like to call a lot of people boss. But in reality, as we look at scripture, we see that God is our boss. God is the one who's in control. God is everything to us. And we recognize that even Jesus' disciples, they struggled with this. And they struggled with the word that we, we all struggle with in a sense, and that's pride. You see, as we look at the scripture, and we look at Mark chapter 10, verse 35, it says this. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. Again, they are asking Jesus to do whatever we ask. Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered, allow us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. Here it is. They are looking for position. They are looking to say, you know what? We want to sit on the left and right of Jesus. We want to be in charge. We want to be the next in line. We want to be, you know, right there at the top. As we know, Jesus is now getting ready to, you know, face his crucifixion. And in fact, in chapter 11, he's going to have the triumphal entry where, you know, people are proclaim that he is Lord. But we know what happens out as he's going to face, again, the crucifixion um, when people insult him, spit on him, you know, do all these things. But here it is. These guys are fighting for a position. They're fighting for who's going to be next in line. You see, we allow ourselves to become the gods of ourselves. We allow pride to come in our lives. We allow pride to take control of us. We allow that to be where we think we're better than other people. Where we fight for position, and we don't even know what we're fighting for. And this is what Jesus said to them in his response as they asked to sit to the right or the left. In verse 38 of Mark chapter 10, it says this, Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Again, Jesus wants to make it very clear. Hey, you know what you would ask him for, right? You, you, are you sure you know what you're going to have to go through if you want this position? You know, I, I think of this also as we consider different passages of Scripture as becoming a follower of Christ. Are you ready to, to count the cost? Are you ready to think of the price that you're going to have to pay? There can be people that are you're going to have to let go of. There can be people who are going to hate you. There are people who are not going to like you. You see, when we consider Jesus and we consider the type of person that he was, a humble person, a person that went to the cross, the worst death that anyone could possibly face, he did that for you, he did that for me. And this is what these guys are asking. They're asking to sit on the right and left of him. You know, when we consider, um, you know, as we talk about boss, you know, and we consider people who we probably can say that, you know what, we've been bossed around before. But we felt like people have just done whatever they wanted to, or they told us what to do. You know, this is what I want you to do. Jesus didn't just tell people what to do. He showed them how to do it. And I think that as we consider our lives, we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to do whatever it is for the cost of Christ? Are we willing to put us away ourselves, put away the God that's in us? 
that we would defeat the God in, in me because we give up our seat and say, you know what, we want whatever Christ wants for our lives. I think that we need to look ourselves in the mirror and say, am I willing to give up myself? Am I ready to say, you know what, God, I want you to do whatever you can in my life. I'm willing to, to, to take the risk. I'm willing to stand up no matter what. Are you willing to say that Christ is the boss of your life? You see, as we consider this passage, and we're going to continue to look at this passage as we pick up the next time, I want us to look at just how we, what we have already seen in verses 35 and 37. You see, the disciples were acting selfishly. As they said, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. You see, that's not something that you want to even answer. Do whatever I ask you to do. Many people would not agree to that. But Jesus says, hey, what do you want? And we see in verse 37, they speak arrogantly. Allow us to sit at your right and your left in glory. They're looking for position. They let pride get in their way. And I want to ask you this morning as we close. Are you prideful? Are you letting pride take the place of Jesus Christ? Are you letting pride, the idol of pride, become your boss? Or are you willing to take a seat and say, you know what, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm willing for you to do. And I want you to do. Because I realize that I am a sinner saved by grace. I realize that, you know what, I am being used by you. And I realize that in whatever I do, I want to bring honor and glory to you. Because this is why I live. It is not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. This is Pastor Nicholas, and it's been another edition of Utah. And now, today's personal God story. Good morning, Bahamas. My name is Rodney Stewart. I serve on the Deacon's Board here at Calvary Bible Church. And it is a privilege today for me to share with you my God story. My life before Christ was somewhat of a free willy thing, I call it. And that was the chase after whatever the world had to offer me. I thought that having money in my pocket, having good friends, playing games like softball was a part of life. But on August of 1996, I had an experience that I would never forget. I was at a softball game and was invited by a friend to a party, having fun, drinking beers and dancing, until about an hour later, something strange happened to me. The beers start to taste bad. The music started to irritate me. And I couldn't figure out what was happening. Just this guilt feeling came upon me. And it's like the conscience is saying to me, go to church. Go to church. And that really take a hold of me that night. And so I left the party. And I decided that, okay, I would go to a church that I've seen um, being built on Carmichael Road, but there was... Um, worshiping out of a tent. So I'll say, I'll go there that Sunday morning. Well, the Sunday morning came, and I didn't go. I said, well, they might have a meeting on some, uh, prayer meeting on Monday. And I decided I would go, go there. But that never happened. It wasn't until that Tuesday, I was on a job assignment going to Life at Key. And on that journey, I heard 
an announcement that um, a new, uh, Warren Miller show that New Covenant Baptist Church was having a midweek revival. And I say, okay, I will go there. Didn't know where New Covenant Baptist Church was. I inquired from, from my coworkers and they told me. That night, at 7 o'clock, I was in the doors of New Covenant Church. And I was just there eager for the altar call. That was, that's all that was on my mind, the altar call. In the process, when Bishop Simeon Hall came on to preach, you know, him with his colorful sermons, his sermon topic was pregnant and ready to deliver. I thought that was really interesting because I am now just waiting for this altar call. And finally it came. And when that altar call came, as shy as I was, I didn't look around to see if anyone going first. I was the first there. And that night, I accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And my life after that was never the same. I get into church wholeheartedly. Softball, as much as I loved it. In fact, I was the most valuable player in the All-Star that same year. And I decided I'll never go back to softball again. 22 years later, never went back to play softball. I take my time, my weekends and whenever time, to do the work of the Lord. And since then, God has blessed me tremendously. And I never regret one moment. And if anyone out there who has never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, I urge you to do it now before it's a day too late. Because Jesus is the answer for all of life, problems that you may be going through. Thank you. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Ephesians 4 verse 11 gives rise to this question. Is there one office or two in the phrase pastors and teachers? Many scholars have appealed to the Granville Sharp rule to argue that the phrase pastors and teachers refers to one office and not two. The Granville Sharp rule states when two words in the same case are preceded by the definite article and joined by the connecting word chi, and the second term does not have the article before it, then the two terms have reference to one and the same thing. At first glance, the rule seems to fit the situation. There are two words joined by chi and preceded by the definite article. However, the words are in the plural, and the Granville Sharp rule was never intended to apply to plurals. If it did, the apostles and prophets in Ephesians 2 verse 20 would be one and the same. 
Without the application of the Granville Sharp rule, we are left with five offices or gifted leaders given to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I believe there is a natural and logical relationship between the last two offices. Pastors should be able to teach. See 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, and 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. And teachers should give spiritual watch care over their students. See 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. But the offices or gifts of pastor and teacher are biblically distinct. A Puritan prayer called God the All. O God, whose will conquers all, there is no comfort in anything apart from enjoying Thee and being engaged in Thy service. Thou art all in all, and all enjoyments are what to me Thou makest them, and no more. I am well pleased with Thy will, whatever it is, or should be, in all respects. And if Thou biddest me decide for myself in any affair, I would choose to refer all to Thee, for Thou art infinitely wise, and cannot do amiss, as I am in danger of doing. I rejoice to think that all things are at Thy disposal, and it delights me to leave them there. Then prayer turns holy into praise, and all I can do is to adore and bless thee. What shall I give thee for all thy benefits? I am in a strait betwixt two, not knowing what to do. I long to make some return, but have nothing to offer, and can only rejoice in that thou dost all, that none in heaven or on earth shares thy honor, I can of myself do nothing to glorify thy blessed name, but I can through grace cheerfully surrender soul and body to thee. I know that thou art the author and finisher of faith, that the whole work of redemption is in thine alone, that every good work or thought found in me is the effect of thy power and grace, that thy sole motive in working in me is to will and to do what is for thy good pleasure. O God, it is amazing that men can talk so much about man's creaturely power and goodness when, if thou didst not hold back every moment, we should be devils incarnate. This, by bitter experience, thou hast taught me concerning myself. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N-1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.